Well, good morning, everyone. Um, Nelson here with Danny Unrau, and uh, welcome to you, brother. It's good to see you. Uh, if y'all haven't heard already, Danny has joined our staff team on a part-time interim basis, and uh, he's here to lend support to our leadership during this time of transition and this time of big conversation and to do various other things to connect with people as he's able and to do some teaching and preaching, which brings us to today. And uh, Danny, grateful that you're here. Glad that you're journeying with us and learning and growing alongside us. Um, uh, Danny and I cooked up this crazy idea of doing a, an interview, a recorded interview via Zoom, both as a way of introducing you all a bit more uh, to Danny and also letting you listen in on some dialogue that we're going to have um, centered on one of our lectionary texts uh, for today. So to get us going a bit, Danny, could you tell us a bit of your story? Good morning, all, uh, or, or in whatever time space you, uh, you watch and hear this thing. Um, uh, Nelson talked about here. Here is at my home and, and Nelson's office and wherever you are. Here is, is, a, is, a, is a new term in this era, era of COVID. Anyway, Danny Unraw, born in southern Manitoba in 1950. It's a long time ago. Uh, youngest of five. Uh, so uh, I'm the classic youngest. Uh, apparently, uh, people recognize that in me everywhere. I believe that everybody should be doing things for me. And my 82-year-old sister, I still think, should tie my shoes for me when she's in the room because that's what she did when I began. And I haven't broken that habit yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can run with that if you like. Um, my uh, dad snuck me away from my mother when she was uh, not feeling well, when I was a few months old and, and met under a, an oak tree in Southern Manitoba with two lay pastors at the church that my immigrant parents were part of and dedicated me to full-time Christian service. I did not know about this little event until I had already pastored eight years in Winnipeg beginning in the uh, early 80s. How old were you? Infancy? Infancy, absolute, yeah, few months old. Wow. And I had pastored for eight years, and I was moving, we were moving from Winnipeg, where I pastored to the Fort Gary Mennonite Brethren Church, to pastor in Richmond. And in a quick visit to his home, he said, I have a story to tell you. And he was a, a, a significant storyteller in my life. He and he said, I need to tell you about this event. Uh, uh, I didn't want to tell you in advance for fear that it would interest your, or, uh, it would influence your decision making. So I never told you, but you've been a pastor now for eight years. So I guess it took. And I want you to know that this is what uh, I did with uh, Reverend Dirksen and Reverend Duick in Southern Manitoba. And so uh, that, uh, that then when you, when I rolled the tapes back, uh, maybe directly influenced my movement from being a high school teacher for six years in McBride and at Prince George, British Columbia, in the in the late 70s early 80s to uh, to being a accidental pastor because i was got a phone call to be a college and career pastor in winnipeg 1984 uh worked one semester with college and career people and then was uh, asked to be the lead pastor at the fort gary church in winnipeg which i said no to three times but then succumbed believing that the voice of the people is always more in tune and I say always more in tune with what God is saying than 
the self-interested individual is. And so I quoted uh, Ezekiel back to them and said, well, okay, if you really think that I should be your pastor, then your blood is on your head. And, uh, and I took the vows and bought the books. And uh, now 36 years later, that's what I have done in, uh, in two major uh, uh, time zones. But then I have now worked interim in four or five sessions since then. Right. And uh, still wondering what I'm going to do when I grow up. Right. I love but, that. Uh, have uh, found the relational side of it just absolutely amazing, uh, along mm. with the walking with Jesus, of course. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one question that's occurring to me, what, was there one thing from being raised on a farm that stands out to you as something that uniquely shaped you to be a pastoral? Like, you know, you, you grew up in a pastoral environment. Mm. Um, is there any, any line that you can draw there, any thinking that you've done around that? It's one thing. Absolutely, yeah. It's a good question. Uh, we were in a in a in an immigrant church. My my uh, parents and uh, and all the other members of the church that I was part of, Boys of Aid Mennonite Brethren, were immigrants from Russia, Siberia, in the late 1920s, and they formed this church in southern Manitoba. And they would gather. They would gather to garden together to uh in a in a not so gentle period as ours to uh, to butcher pigs and cattle together <laughs> and they would spend days and we'd be allowed we children would be allowed to stay home from school on those days and there were there were uh significant tasks assigned to the men and significant tasks assigned to women and to children and i got to stir uh stir the 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 ribs in in boiling oil with a broken hockey stick uh, at the, at the end of the day, and, and the day would always end, and this was significant because there would be maybe eight to 10 couples from the church of maybe 80 people to 100 people. Um, and they would spend the day working together and tell stories. And it was, and I, as, as the youngest of family, I would run back and forth uh, between the women and the men, finding the women's story more interesting than the men's because the men's mm -hmm. stories were about politics and religion, and the women's story were, were about people. Uh, and I would run back and forth and listen to these stories. But at the end of the day, they would, of course, have dinner together. Everyone would get a wrapped piece of fresh meat in brown paper wrapped with white string, which everyone would get after that, after which uh, when they had the gifts in their hand, they stood in a circle and, uh, and they prayed together and blessed each other and left. And I would say how that has influenced me now after having pastored 36 years in urban settings, I have often said I have not learned how to how to create community or have community in an urban setting the way we simply experienced it in a rural one. Mm. Uh, and I have a number of other examples of that, which which yeah. we don't have time for. But well, it was. I mean, what a good question to be holding. I mean, again, for artisan as we um, have journeyed now these ten some years. Um, obviously still on an incredible learning curve of how, how, how do we do that? How do we shape true community in a, in a urban context, which is so fragmented and pulled in different directions and all of that stuff. But, um, I love that. And sometimes it's amazing how time, um, kind of withdrawing to rural environments or getting closer to the land and even gardening ourselves. Mm. Like since Terry yes. and I moved to Mount Pleasant and having a garden in our yeah. own backyard and getting Adri involved in that. And yes. It slows us down. It does so many different things. And, and so it just makes us more attuned. Um, 
Well, that's really good. I look forward to hearing more of your story. This is yeah. such a thumbnail sketch, of course. Um, but let's dive into the text here a little bit. And I wonder if you might, um, I was saying to you, people hear me all the time. It would be great to have you open up the gospel text for today. Um, and it's Matthew 13, 31 to 33 and 44 to 52. So Danny, please read that for us. I'm going to follow along here. Okay. Reading from the lectionary, Matthew 13. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and someone took and sowed it in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasures, like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household, which brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Hmm. Wow. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, um, of course, these are the words of Jesus. And uh, when, when you and I spoke about this last week, um, you said, I can't read a Jesus text without a sense of adventure in it. <laughs> and I just love that. I had to write it down, had to remember it for today. Um, so uh, why don't you open this up for us? Where did the adventure of this text take you this time around? Um, let me give a little preamble to answer that uh, that adventurous question itself. Um, uh, part of my uh, experience and training is is that of studying Judaism um, in Jerusalem for a year and a half and many years since. Um, what struck me uh, by my New Testament professors in Jerusalem who were who were Orthodox Jewish rabbis who were New Testament scholars at the Hebrew and Tel Aviv universities, who, who inculcated in our evangelical Christian brains, we were all students from North America and Europe and in Australia in that given year, um, that unlike in the, in, in the Western evangelical church where we have looked for the right answer, in Jewish teaching from Christ's time to the present, in the shul, in the, in the teaching in the synagogue, there is always the emphasis, the adventure for all the things God may be saying in this text. Mm. So let's discover the richness of the layers. And so you would have the rabbis saying, and it, I know it's even been, I've seen it in, in films and movies where, uh, where the rabbi hears a question and answers the question and somebody else says, but what about, and gives the other answer to the same question. And, and he will say, that is also true. 
And so that has really helped me to understand that, that there are so many ways of understanding the text. And for those of you that have read and are reading the Bible, how often have you experienced, I've never seen that before. And yet you know you've read it dozens of times, if not hundreds of times, and here's a, a new piece of information. And so that's part of the adventure, apart even the fact that it's new or today again, or even that we've seen there, there's a different emphasis to it. So that's part of the adventure. So what happens in this text? Oh, uh, uh, the lectionary text was so enormous this week, and, and even just the Matthew text, we can't even hardly begin to look at. But, but what jumped out at me and continued to the many times I read through this this week um, is the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like, and of course, those of you that are reading along or have read along or have heard this, uh, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden. The kingdom is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. What, what captured me this time was that it felt like the emphasis on these one-line, two-line parables, because the text calls them... He, that these are parables, and they're all in one or two lines. Unless, of course, he he extended those greatly in the preaching of them, and, and we only got little snippets of it, which is very possible, we know from other texts. But it feels like the stress or the emphasis, or what I what was the stress and emphasis for me, was just on the beginning, the seed. And then, of course, he extrapolates that it becomes this enormous tree. But it feels like, and yeast, he's he's... Jesus is centering on the seed and the yeast, the treasure hidden in the field, the merchant in search, and the king and the net. And, and of course, there's more to it. There's the end of it. But he, I think he wants us to see the kingdom at the beginning of the image, right at the beginning of the image. And that in itself, that we're at the beginning of the image and not, not of the extrapolation, or, or if I could add an example, in our teaching of, Christen, of Christianity in all these years, we've pushed people to heaven. You know, believe so that you go to heaven. And I think we've missed the fact that walking with Jesus here and now is a pretty significant thing, friends and neighbors. And so this text reinforces that. But let's look at what's, what's the here and now, what's at the beginning. Because when he mentions the mustard seed and the yeast and the treasure, we get that sense of here and now, right now. Time is frozen into the right now. It's not past, it's not present, or uh, future, it's present. And, and there's a suggestion in the fact, if we look at, at the, the introduction, the introductory images, there's a dynamic. There's a time, and, and there's not a space dynamic, there's a time dynamic which is present. And what does it do? It implies hope or looking forward to something coming out of this, even though we're still here, it means we can rest in here and now because there is something that will come out of this that is positive. Mm. So it's significant, and it gives us a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of surprise. What could this become? Because if even a little mustard seed or a pearl or yeast, which we can hardly see or smell, it, it becomes these great things. There's this whole sense of of awe and wonder pulling us forward and giving us hope in a hopeless age, in a hopeless time, you know, with a hopeless headache, with a hopeless whatever that feels, uh, strips us of our, our ability to live in hope. And, and so it, it, 
gives that to me that that encouragement that encouragement to keep running to just keep running or walking or flying or crawling i mean the isaiah uh we can fly we can fly like eagles or we can crawl or just barely walk it is implied in that text and always in the in the jesus text that whether we are walking or crying or or, crawl, or walking or crawling or flying it is always the same god that is with us in that hmm. i remember a, a prayer that i spoke for my children when my children were small i have three grown children and i would go for my morning runs in those days when i would run uh, uh, that that i had that had this image of Jesus walking into, into the city of Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, because he always walked up to Jerusalem. And that he was holding the hand of my oldest daughter because she was 11, 12. He had my middle daughter, who was three years younger, in the little red wagon behind him with his other hand. And he had my young son on his shoulders. Hmm. And, and I would pray for a sense of Jesus being with my children in that way, each in, in relationship to their time of being. Wow. Yeah. And that's what this text does. It throws us into an understanding of the kingdom in this time. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's an adventure. I love that. Yeah. We can come back to this anytime and it will again re-adventure itself in our Absolutely. being. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just talk about the word kingdom because the word kingdom itself, um, again, the language Jesus uses, the images that he compares to, but the word kingdom, just recognizing that what, what comes up for me and what comes up for different people all depends on the lens through which we're looking. And so some of us might think of kingdom and think something that's big and vast and fixed and eternal and from all time and uh, which might veer into thoughts of colonialism, it's a word I can't even say, supremacy, some of these big themes that we're kind of on about. And for those reasons, it might create suspicion. Even just hearing the word kingdom might be triggering. It might create a sense of suspicion or resistance in us. But Jesus always seems to subvert these notions, doesn't he? I mean, you've already talked about this, but it, and it's the sense of movement and hopefulness and trajectory and it's anything but fixed but it's something that's in motion and moving but uh anyway anything else you want to offer around kingdom you know when we read the new testament text and we christians as even almost negatively in in our unconscious anti-semitism have have really been excited when jesus broke the rules Hmm. and then other times he didn't break the rules because i believe that he was a a pious jew uh, lived out his orthodoxy to the max, but but also was so free that he could turn the thing upside down. And so instead of ignoring or, or redefining kingdom, as he could have, because they were in the middle of the Roman kingdom, and it was hateful, it was hard, yeah. but he kept using it. So, so the image that pops up for me is, you know, the circle, uh, the traffic circle with the line through it? Mm-hmm. So it's a kingdom that says power, but there's a line through it. It's still there, but the poison has been taken out of it. And it's the, it's the ability, it's the power to live kingdomly, if you want, or Christly. But it's still an ability, because power is an ability to do something. 
So he uses it in order in, in the, I think he keeps using the word kingdom in order to set the concept free for us mm. and, 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 and let us live in it so that, so that we are not bereft of being able to enjoy this kingdom and yeah. thrive in it. Yeah. It's like this week I saw the, the message from a, a senator or uh, some uh, political leader in the United States talking about the masks. Says, you want to be free? You want to express your freedom? Wear a mask. You'll be free to go back to work earlier. You'll be free to go back to school earlier. You'll be free to care for your neighbors. Put the mask on. Be free. Wow. Yeah. And that's what Jesus does with kingdom. Right. You want to walk with me? Come into my kingdom. Look at the look at the Roman kingdom and throw it upside down. And that's me. Come walk with me. Enjoy, you know, unforced rhythms of grace, right? Yeah. Oh man, that's good. Yeah. Well, what are, what are some other layers of uh, adventure? Anything that you wanted to sort of pull out from this? I've got a few minutes to go. You know, the, the, the back end of this stuff, uh, and he refers to it, or, you know, at the end of, at the end of our reading, uh, there's that hard thing, which we, on another time, we could look at this uh, about the gnashing of teeth and, and the hard mm -hmm. stuff. But at the end, he's the very last line in verse 52. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So when we read this and when I, when I emphasized my understanding of the front end, which is the seed, not the big tree, the yeast, not the bread, uh, to not forget, I mean, it goes, almost with, it goes without saying that, that the the end result is already applied in implied in the beginning and so we we can stress the beginning but the but the end is already there when we when we smell the bread baking we already say oh uh, and we're not even eating it yet but we know it's coming and so even when the pans come out of the cupboard in order to make bread we're, we're already, we're, we already see it coming. So, so that sense of timelessness of Jesus working outside of space and time, I've heard, you know, I said this was just about time, but, but it's outside of space and time. And, and, and it's, uh, uh, I heard on CBC radio today, I only heard just a snippets of it, of a, of a, uh, of a scientist who was, uh, who was breaking some of the, the mythology, if I can use that word, of, of evangelicalism and, and the denial of of, uh, of evolution and how, and he was saying, if God can choose whatever system of time management that he wants. And so I don't see a conflict between the biblical stuff and, you know, let's, let's celebrate. Uh, uh, we, uh, to be critical of our history and, and our, our narrow understanding, I think, of texts, uh, it seems, and you meant to use the word before colonialism, you know, colonialism grew out of Christendom, where we package Christianity into a system of power and control. And so then we made uh, theology controllable. We set up, uh, we set up doctrines and beliefs that we could then, we could then package and make sure we could test whether they fit or not, because we didn't want to live with, with the mystical, mysterious edges of that. But the but the problem with that is God is so much more enormously large than we can even dream and imagine. So why would we want to package 
you know, we're finding out, I don't know if you've seen any of the, the skies this week. I went out in, in Richmond where I live and tried to see the, the comet last night and there was too much interference from Vancouver lights here. Um, so didn't see anything, but we're, we're learning how absolutely enormous the galaxy is. And, 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 and so everything that Christ put his hand to was a small portion of that. So even this text is a part of the enormous galaxy. And so we can just keep looking to it and, and, and letting it paint us. So it's, mm. it's, uh, it's more than majesty. Mm. It's beautiful. Um, what might the invitation to us be as we uh, have sat with this, as we've explored it, we've sort of turned the diamond and looked at these different aspects and really just skimmed the surface of it. What occurs to you as uh, something to, um, to be invited into? Jesus called these, these 12 disciples and then, and then the rest of us. And of course, there's no accident that the word disciple comes out of discipline. So, uh, it's the same route, right? And so I, I think the invitation is for us to discipline ourselves to look for the adventure. Mm. And, you know, in, in the current culture wars that were caught up in the North, in the West, between, between conservatism and liberalism or whatever terms we want to put on it, we we followers of Jesus and part of the institutional church, it's flaws, warts and everything. And it's, and it's good stuff all put together. We, we start to feel like we're victims and we need to practice the discipline of today. I will live in the adventure mm. and I will not, unless I am crying with a broken brother and sister, I will live in celebration of what the kingdom could mean and should mean as I walk through, as I crawl through, as I fly through this day, because it is there simply for the taking of for, for letting it fall on me like rain. Um, and, and again, different personalities find that easier than others to do uh, uh, by other people's uh, definition. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. And so I want to be, uh, I, I'm an enthusiast. Uh, I'm looking, but but still, I but I but I do get really angry when I hit a, a golf ball into the tree, and I don't come out of it until it comes out well. So so I, I like to believe I'm somewhat of a healthy seven. So so there's still that that sense of adventure, and I think we there are times in life when we need to practice it because we're going to need to practice to live in adventure because life simply isn't for any of us. An adventure all the way through and it would be a tragic thing if it was actually because yeah. what would what would be the value of that yeah that's why christ gave us that's why the creator gives us choices yeah 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 well that's so good danny appreciate that um so much and yeah invite us as we come to a place of, of response now um i think uh, scott is going to shift us to uh, communion to come to the table and to consider uh, what living into the adventure and to practice that discipline might look like for us. And so, um, yeah, back to you, Scott. Thank you, uh, Danny, for being with us. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you through the Spirit through you uh, in the coming weeks. Amen. Amen. Talk soon.